We've been in a series in Acts, um, and, uh, and it gets a little bit more serious today as we jump in. So I know I've been gone for a couple weeks, but, but as we've been looking at Acts, what we're seeing is the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of Christianity, is that Jesus died on a cross and suffered for our sins, and then he came back from the dead. And, and what he left when he came back from the dead is he created this little thing called the church. It was his idea, not our idea. It wasn't a group of guys that got together and said, you know what we should do? We should make a church. It, there was no brilliant scheme of a bunch of brilliant men in a back room concocting the plan of the church. This was God's idea. It was his plan, and the church quickly exploded. And I mean exploded on the scene. I mean, Jerusalem got flipped upside, upside down so quickly as this message of grace and a suffering Savior who offers forgiveness of sins free of charge. As that gospel message started spreading throughout the city of Jerusalem, it didn't just spread two or three people at a time. It was spreading two or 3,000 people at a time. Like As we've been seeing this in Acts, the church is clearly exploding. And it's not just exploding because of the gospel message. The church is radically generous with people. Like they're meeting needs with something that doesn't make any sense. So you can't plan that. You can't guilt what they were doing. Like they're selling their stuff and meeting the needs of the poor. And, and not only that, their love for each other. Like it's insane. Like they're literally together every day and they still keep coming back to hang out more. Like, like it's not like they got tired of each other after two weeks of Bible studies. They were like, no, I want more and more and more. They're in each other's homes every night having dinner. They're studying the Bible. They're praying together. And this thing is exploding. And, and by this point that we get into Acts chapter 6, the church may be almost 20,000 people big. That's that's gigantic. You don't need to think like a small little group of people. This thing has exploded and all weaved in the foundation of Christianity. Weaved in it is this gospel message. Weaved in it is love for one another. Weaved in it is serving the needy of the community. That, that is all weaved in the foundation of Christianity. But, but there's something else that's weaved into the foundation of Christianity. And, and it gets a little bit more intense. It's, it's weaved in it also in the teachings of Jesus. Let me read a few verses to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 11, Jesus says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Part of the thing that just weeds in there is that you're blessed when people persecute you and lie about you and say bad things about you. It says it again in John chapter 15, verse 18 and 20. Jesus says this, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20 says this, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Listen, part of what Jesus taught right out of the gate in the foundation of the gospel and Christianity is that following Jesus will cost you. It, it's going to cost you. And don't be surprised about that. I mean, he said it. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. You take up a cross, you're going somewhere. You're following him to crucifixion. Like it, following Jesus is not roses and hugs and kisses. Part of the essence of Christianity, part of the tradition that we inherit in Christianity is one of suffering. 
Even, Paul even says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, today, where we're at in Acts, we're gonna see the beginning of that really taking off on the church. Let me give you a quick background. Acts chapter six, the church has been exploding. There's been pressure from the religious leaders uh, and they've got this problem with feeding the widows. And so they set up this thing called deacons and they get these seven men and their only thing is not their good businessmen, not that they're geniuses. They are simply full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Pick seven guys to lead this and they handle this thing for the church and immediately the church starts exploding. And one of those deacons, a guy named Stephen, that's who we're gonna look at today, Acts chapter six, verse eight. Here's what it says. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Let me just hit pause. I know it's only one verse, but, but you've got this regular guy in Jerusalem. I need you to know this. This is Stephen. He, he's just a regular guy. He hasn't been to seminary. We don't know if he was with Jesus for three years or not. We just know he's a guy that's simply full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. He's been doing ministry and he's not one of the apostles. He's not one of the, the big dogs that's up there in charge. He, he's a waiter of tables is his title, a deacon. He's a waiter. He does widow's ministry. And this guy that has no formal training that we know of, no crazy experience. He's not one of the elite leaders in the church. This guy, Stephen, God is using to do powerful ministry. It's, it says he's full of grace and power and that he's doing great wonders and signs. Like, like this is like huge level ministry that, that Stephen is doing here. Like church, he's not just doing crazy ministry. Look at what it says in verse nine. It says this, he's, he's doing major teaching. Verse 9 says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. So they're, they're saying, listen, we gotta, we got to stop this guy because he's doing serious work, but he's also teaching powerfully about Jesus, and he's not even a pastor. <laughs> this is crazy. So they, they're like, we're going to argue with this guy. So here's Stephen, not seminary trained, not a pastor. He's a follower of Jesus. And this regular average guy whose only qualification is that he's filled with the spirit and with wisdom is teaching in a strong way that these guys like that to argue with him. So while he's teaching, can you imagine this? This guy that's not trained in it is getting, he's having people fight him in the middle of his messages. Can you imagine that today? Man, listen, that, I'm telling you right now, that would rattle me. If you're like, I don't believe you. Like, like okay, now I gotta fix this. Like, you start throwing counter arguments to my points. No, it's not that, it's this. Like, that's gonna be real awkward. Like, it's gonna be real uncomfortable for me. And here's Stephen, and he's handling it. And here's what it says in verse 10. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Listen, this regular guy, was able to handle all the arguments of these like three or four synagogues that are trying to argue against his teaching. He, he, here's why that's really good news to me, church. That, that's good news because God uses regular men and women to do major ministry. He, he, he's not in the business of raising up superstars and rock stars and the elite to reach the world for Jesus. He's using regular, just plain regular men and women to do powerful things. 
Listen, the power of the early church was not that they were filled with geniuses and elite. The power of the early church was regular men and women were filled with the Spirit. And they stepped out in confidence in what God was calling them to do. As I was reading this and I was thinking about our church, I started looking around here and saying, listen, if our church is going to reach Tallahassee with the gospel of Jesus Christ, let's make something really, really clear. It does not rise and fall on one person standing behind the pulpit reaching everyone in this city. The power of this church is men and women sitting in these seats. It's you filled with the Spirit living on mission. That is God's plan. I want you to hear that. You are God's plan to reach this city. You. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have been a follower of Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years. You don't have to be the most gifted person in the room. You literally just need the Spirit to do a work and enable you. You need to follow Him. Sometimes I get concerned. I get concerned that... I. I don't know what it is, but it's almost like we're like handcuffed or afraid. We're afraid to step out and follow God because we've got all these things in our head. We think, well, I'm not smart enough. Or I'm not experienced enough. Or I've never done that before. Or you know what? I've got a past. If, if you knew my past, man, you, you would not want me to step out into that type of ministry. And we start thinking about these things of ministry that God might be stirring in the hearts of this church. And we push it all down because of all sorts of excuses like I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, or I was too bad years ago. Listen, church, you need to stop focusing on your ability and your strength and focus on God's power and God's ability. He is strong enough to use weak men and women. The entire Bible is full of that. And so I don't know what thing God would be calling you today. I don't know what he's calling you to. But stop being afraid. Don't, don't be afraid and don't feel like you've got to be a rock star. Don't let your past handcuff you. The gospel frees us from our past. The gospel changes us and makes us people who can be used by God to do significant ministry in this city. Church, stop being afraid. Whoever he's called you, step out in faith that God will show up and help you do it. Because listen, if there's anything about Stephen that stands out, I believe is that he was a regular guy that was used powerfully by God. He was definitely not one of the apostles. This guy exploded on the scene. Well, listen, they, when they find out they can't argue with him, look at what they decide to do. Verse 11, uh, they realize I can't argue with the guy, so we're gonna play other games. Chapter six, verse 11 says this, then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they served the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon them and seized them and brought them before the council. This is the, the same council that had Jesus executed. The, the same council that's been threatening the, the apostles. And here Stephen is dragged in front of these guys with all these lies about him. Verse 13, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say, 
that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Like, so here they are. They've got this thing. If I can't argue and beat him, I'm going to set up lies. We're going we're to lie about him. We're going to twist what he says. Church, never underestimate the wickedness of hard-hearted, stubborn, religious people. You need to hear something. These are not atheists and pagans that are going after Stephen. These are the religious that are going after Stephen. Like of all the people who should, not, who should not be okay with lies and tricks and schemes, it should be people who should be followers of the one true God. But when it comes to messing with their traditions, when it comes to messing with the things that they love more than God, listen, their wickedness comes out clearly. Do not underestimate the wickedness of hard-hearted religious people. That Their hard-heartedness is going to come out in all sorts of awful ways. And, and you look at that and you see how angry they are and how much they're lying. And, and look at Stephen. Look at verse 15. Look at what the Spirit is doing in Stephen in the midst of lies and accusations and a very pressure-filled situation. Verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. It's this, this crazy description, like, like here's Stephen. Can, can you imagine this? Like I want you to picture that you get dragged to court. It's an unfair trial. It's full of lies. And you're sitting there calm, collected with this confidence. It's clear that you're innocent. Like how, how does my flesh want to respond when I'm accused or lied about? What, what do we do? We get angry and indignant. We're going we're gonna to interrupt. I'm not going to let you finish that lie. I'm going to stop it right now. No, 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 no. That's not what I said. You know that's not what I said. Like we, we go down that, ang- that path. Or listen, we know what's on the line here. They're accusing him of something that's worthy of the death penalty. This, this is not just, hey, we're in a little disagreement in a room about the way we should do things following God. This is, there's serious consequences for what they're saying about Stephen. And, and he's not even trying to pacify them. He's not going, no, guys, guys, you misunderstand. I mean, let me clarify. Like, he's sitting there calm, collected. Like, listen, church, I want you to hear this. The Spirit is enabling Stephen to respond just like Jesus. The, the Spirit is enabling Stephen to respond just like like Jesus. You, you get nervous about how you're going to engage your neighbors with the gospel or how you'll respond to pressure. The, the answer is not in your skill. The answer is the, that the Spirit can help you respond just like Jesus when people lie about you, when they accuse you, when they twist your words, when the, the heat is turned up. God can help you do more than you can do on your own. You don't rely on your own power. You rely on Jesus to do a work in your heart to give you calm and grace and mercy. Well, listen, Stephen starts to respond. They, they give, and I'm not going to go through the whole sermon because, good grief, we will be here for four hours if I go through all of chapter 7. But, but they give Peter, or Stephen, Peter, one of these guys, they give him a chance to talk. And Stephen begins this sermon where he walks through the history of Israel. I'm going to let you study that on your own, but let me basically summarize what Stephen says. He says, listen, God made this promise to Abraham, and, and Abraham had a son who had a son who had a son who had 12 sons. That's kind of the long, the, the short story of it. And th- those 12 sons, let me tell you what those 12 sons did. They rejected Joseph. He sold him into slavery. They rejected him. But then God used Joseph, the one they rejected, to save them all. 
And they all ended up in Israel and, or in Egypt, and they, they become slaves in Egypt. And then the, God raises up Moses. And you know what Israel did to Moses? They rejected Moses. And he comes back, and God uses the one they rejected to save Israel out of slavery. And then God brings them to this awesome place. He brings them to, the, to Mount Sinai, and he said, I'm going to give you the land. Here's how you follow me. They build this tabernacle. And as they're getting all the rules about how to follow God, you know what Israel does? While they're getting the rules, they make a golden calf and start worshiping idols. They've just seen God do all these plagues, all these plagues on Egypt. They saw him part the Red Sea. They've already seen manna come down from heaven and water come out of a rock, and they're already making an idol. We're not even weeks out from that event. Out of the gate, they start worshiping idols. And they did it over and over and over and over again. And God still gave them the land. And he still showed them mercy. And eventually they moved from a tabernacle to a temple that Solomon built. Let me pick up at the end of the sermon because here's where Stephen's going to turn it. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 7. He says this. And I, Listen, I, I want you to see the boldness that Stephen has. Remember what's on the line here. They're accusing him of something that's worthy of capital punishment. It says, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Talking about the temple. It's Solomon that built the temple. Verse 48. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Like, he made a temple, but, but God is not confined to one temple. God's told us this. Verse 49, where God says in, in Isaiah, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house do you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? And then he turns it on. He's saying, listen, you love this temple, but God says he doesn't live in temples. That's not his home. He's not confined to one little temple. He's too big for that. Verse 51, he says this. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Dude, he's, he's got kind of a, he's got a bite to him, doesn't he? He's like, okay, listen, you guys are worried about the temple. You're worried about what I'm saying about Jesus. You're worried about your customs. And I'm telling you right now, all we've ever done is reject God. That's exactly what you're doing. Stephen takes it right to the heart in a moment when he could have pacified, in a moment when he could have, skirted around the truth and sugarcoated a little bit, he goes straight after the heart of these men that are in this council. He says, here's the issue, guys. The issue is you're rejecting God. You've always rejected him. That's how we're here. The issue is not the customs of the temple. The issue is your hard hearts. Whew, man. Then he, he keeps going. He says this in verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murder. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. The Bible says this. When they heard this, verse 54, they heard these things and they were enraged. That word enraged, it actually means they were cut to the heart. They felt ripped into the veneer, the fake plastic, religious, clean, Jewish boys felt their, their shell of cleanness ripped apart and their hearts were exposed. Now listen, you've got a couple ways you can respond. When the shell is peeled back, you can respond with repentance and deal with the heart or you can respond with anger. And they decided to respond with anger. It says this as they ground their teeth at him. 
It's a crazy phrase. They're so angry, they're literally like, I cannot stand this guy. It's that type of like jaw clenched rage. That phrase is used a lot in the New Testament, actually. And it's almost exclusively used of this phrase. It's usually this phrase. There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's the picture Jesus uses of what it's going to be like in hell for people. And sometimes if we're wrong, we think it's torment, just torment. Yeah, there's weeping and wailing because there's torment, but there's also rage and fury. There's anger at God. All the masks and all the pretending are gone. And it comes out that the heart behind all of us is a rebellion against God that is furious that he would tell us what to do. We're raging angry that he would have the audacity to have a standard and hold us to it. And he would think that he has the right to judge the world. The the picture of those in hell is those who are suffering and who are furious with God for it. And these people show that exact same heart. But instead of being mad at God, they unleash it on Stephen. And while they're angry and raging and gnashing their teeth and lying and deceiving, look at what the Spirit does in Stephen. I, you need to see the difference between the flesh and the Spirit in this. It's, I think it's strong. It says this, verse 55, but he, this is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Look, look at this. He, he looks past the angry mob and the furious men and the threats. And full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up and he sees God. Heaven's open. He saw the glory of God. And Jesus says he's standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is almost always sitting at the right hand of God. Now he's standing. It's almost like Jesus is standing up and he's looking and saying, I see you, Stephen. I see everyone there. Like I'm, I'm watching and I'm here and I'm, I'm going to deal with this. And I think he's also telling Stephen, I'm worth it. What you're about to experience, I need you to know this, Stephen. I'm worth it. I'm I'm glorious and I'm amazing and I'm telling you right now what you're getting a glimpse of what you're about to get and it's going to be awful and painful and brutal, but I want you to see the reward you're about to get and I'm standing up because I'm telling you right now that I'm worth it and I'm with you and I will judge this. Here's Stephen in the midst of rage and anger and accusation, and threats, and God gives him the calm. No fear. Stephen's not angry. He's not fighting back. He just looks up and just like, I see Jesus. He's standing right next to God. Dude, they hear this. Man, a hard heart can't take that. Their rage only grows. And they do this, verse, 50, verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. It's like a toddler. I'm not listening to you. No, 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 no. I'm, I see this all the time with my three-year-old. I'm not listening. Like, covers their ears and they run at him. They rush together at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. It's brutal. This scene, in just two words, you just say they stoned him. You don't understand the savageness of this. So they grab this man. This is mob justice, which is really injustice. They drag this man outside of the city. And they literally beat him to death with rocks. Why? Because he follows Jesus. 
Because he speaks the truth about Jesus. Because he speaks the good news of Jesus. It's not because Stephen was a jerk. It's not because Stephen was brash and arrogant. This is because Stephen spoke the truth about Jesus. There's a little thing you're going to note for later on in this series. Verse 58, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that name. It'll change eventually. And as they were stoning Stephen, look, look at what he does. Like this is, I want you to see what God can enable a regular man or woman to do in the worst circumstances. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Does that sound familiar to you? Remember what Jesus said on the cross? Look what else. This is what's on Stephen's mind. And falling to his knees, the rocks are coming and they're hitting him. He cried out with a loud voice so that everybody could hear. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The grace and mercy to say that and mean it at this moment that these men are unjustly killing you. Where do you, where do you get that? I'm telling, I'm telling you over and over and over again where we get that. We get that from the work of Jesus in our hearts. I'm, I'm telling you, the power of the Spirit is strong enough, church, He's strong enough to make you a faithful witness all the way to the end. I want you to believe that. I want you to believe that he's strong enough to help you deal with persecution and pressure and lies and cursing and maybe even death. And you're saying, listen, we're in the States. That may not happen. Fine, it may not happen. Okay, but there still should be some type of pressure for us following Jesus. And I don't want you, as I say that, I don't want you to hear that this whole idea of people being rude jerks for Jesus. They're, they're brash and they're jerks on Twitter. That's not what we're talking about. I don't know that Jesus can make you a faithful and strong witness and you can actually, because of the Spirit, you can stand strong all the way to the end. You. You. You may not feel like you can do that, and you can't on your own, but Jesus can really do that through us. That's the power of the gospel. It's not just forgiveness. It's power to actually follow Jesus and obey him, and you have access to that power. He promises to give it. Man, Stephen, Stephen is solid, man. He lays down, and he dies, and he goes to sleep. And as I, as I read this, I, here's what stands out to me, church. There's a few lessons. One is this. Church, I want us to be faithful witnesses for Jesus in this city. I, I want you and me to be faithful witnesses for Jesus in this city. And I don't mean faithful witnesses, we get people to come and hear me speak every Sunday. I mean you and me living in our neighborhoods. I mean me, you and me at work you and I said at the places where our kids go to school, every place that God's given you a little circle, there's circles of areas that you can be accountable for, that you can be a good witness. Church, I want us to be faithful witnesses for Jesus in this city. I don't want us to sit in pews. I want us to take the gospel message faithfully to all the places where we live. 
at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood, wherever your kids play t-ball. Listen, and to do that, I don't want you to doubt your ability. I want you to trust the ability of God to use weak men and women. This is an issue of trusting him. Church, not only that, but I want us to believe that Jesus is worth it. I want you to believe that Jesus is actually worth it. I want you to believe that he's worth your neighbors maybe not liking you because you stuck your neck out to share the gospel. Now, I want you to believe that Jesus is worth it when you try to figure out how to share the gospel at work, which is super tricky, right? That's complicated. We don't want to be stupid about it, but there's got to be a way. I want you to believe that Jesus is worth it if the consequences come crashing down. Now, I want us to believe that Jesus is worth it that he's worth whatever we would have to give up. He's worth whatever risk it is to share the gospel. He's worth whatever discomfort we would have, and maybe more. Maybe he's worth some of us actually going overseas and taking the gospel to unreached places. Maybe one of the things he's doing in this group and in this room is he's gonna call young men and young women or old men and young women, I don't know who, doesn't matter age. He's going to call some of us maybe to go and take the gospel to hard and scary and difficult places because he's worth it. He can do that. He, he can do it and you can have joy while you do it. And, and the final thing, I think there's a warning in this passage. It's not, I think for some of us, I want us to trust that Jesus can mobilize us and use us and we want to believe that he's worth it. We want us to be faithful witnesses. But my other concern is I'd be foolish to not be in a church and not ask this question. Are there any of us that maybe the issue for us isn't that we believe Jesus is worth it. Maybe religion is masking a hard and rebellious heart. Like my concern for some of you in this room would be that you've been in church your whole life. You're just like these Jewish men who were angry at Stephen, but you've masked it better. You know how to be good at a Baptist church. You know how to be clean. You know, you know how to live a good life. But inside your heart is hard and, and rebellious against God. There's nothing in you that your heart beats fast for Jesus. You show up because you have to. You act good because you're supposed to. But knowing and loving and worshiping Jesus, man, religion is masking a hard heart. If that's you today, can, can I just call you to repent and place your trust in Jesus? Don't mask a hard heart. Repent and let him change it. He can give you a soft, brand new heart if you place your trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. Listen, church, I pray that for us we would be faithful witnesses who really see Jesus use us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm gonna guide us through a time of response. Because I don't know what God would have said to you. But whatever he said to you, would you do business with him right now? Did, did he call you to repent of anything? Maybe for you, you've been religious and good and clean but it's been masking a hard heart. Listen, if he called you to repent, then simple, just, just repent. Maybe for you, um, he called you to repent of fear, that, that you've gotten used to sitting and doing nothing for Jesus and, and you don't believe that he's actually gonna, sh that he's stronger than your weakness. You're afraid to step out into that ministry he's calling you to or reaching out to that person. Listen, would you repent of fear? 
Would you repent of trusting your ability more than his ability? Maybe for you it's not an issue of repentance. Maybe the thing is he, he's calling you to something right now. He, he's put a neighbor on your heart. He's put a coworker. He's put a ministry. I, I don't know what it would be. You've been hesitating. Just obey him and step out in faith that he'll actually equip you to do what he's calling you to. Maybe for you, the thing that stands out is the thing that God's in your heart is worship. He's not calling you to do something or repent of something. He's just reminding you that he's worth it. That's you. Would you just worship him in your seat right now saying, Jesus, I believe you're worth it. Whatever it is, you're worth it. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song of response. Um, our pastors and decision council will be down front. If you need to speak to someone as we sing, you can do that. Um, if you wanna do business with God in your seat, you can do that. This altar will be open. If you need to pray and talk with God about something, you can do that. But whatever he's done, I, I pray that right now we would be faithful witnesses to Jesus, that we would respond to what he did in our hearts. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we believe you're worth it. And God, I pray you would help us to be faithful witnesses. God, I, I pray we'd be a people that would step out and believe that you would actually use us as regular common people, that we would place confidence not in our ability, not in our strength, not in our experience or our training, that we'd place confidence in you and you working through regular people. And I pray you would use us. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please?